I think that you can charge whatever you want, but you do need to be able to deliver on whatever it is that you say you're going to deliver. We've all been in the creative business for more than 20 years and love almost everything about it. But we have to admit, there are times when it's a shit show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of the design and marketing business and share ideas and support that get us through the day. And sometimes we'll just shoot the shit. So welcome to the Creative Shit Show. So you guys, we talk a lot about pricing on this show and we talk about what works and what doesn't and... I believe as creatives, there's consensus that there's a lot of gray area on how to attract leads and close sales or contracts. And so it's exciting to bring our guest today, Ivy Malik, as she joins us all the way from Sweden, which is super exciting, making this our first international shit show. Um, (laughs) Ivy is a business and sales coach for creatives, and it's her mission to help you sign high ticket clients without feeling salesy and start making the income you desire. So Ivy, welcome to the shit show. Thank you. Thank Yay. you very much. Welcome. <laughs> so welcome. excited to have you. I'm very um, excited to be here. Well, listen, before we get started, I just want to say if you're not following Ivy on Instagram, you're missing out. Um, she's at Ivy Malik official. Um, I've been following you since Vaughn suggested it. We had a early on in the season, we were talking about creative pricing and Vaughn brought you up and we all looked you up on Instagram and agreed this was amazing and wondered why we hadn't found you before. Um, we're all like, super impressed with your carousels and videos. And I I mean, for me, they resonate and, and push me to do better just about every time um, you open your mouth. So I feel like <laughs> then I found out that you were part of Chris Doe's group, the Future Pro group, um, which I'm also part of. And so I reached out to you on Instagram and now we're best friends. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, I, but I was just wondering, you know, what is that what set you on the path going through um, the future pro growth? Or how did you decide that helping creatives, um, especially with mm. something as hard to, you know, interpret as pricing? How did you decide that was your path? I think this is going to sound so cheesy, but it found me. <laughs> no, it's great. It. So... The story that I will tell is how I became, which was as from as early as I can remember, I was carrying a video camera and my father is a bit of a gadget man. So he was constantly upgrading the video cameras. So I was intent on becoming a film director, but I'm half Swedish and half Pakistani, which means I'm half Asian. And being a director is not exactly the dream job for any Pakistani family daughter as well. So I was told to get a real degree and uh, I kind of fought a little bit with my father and he's like, no, but I'm not saying you can't do this. You can do whatever you want, but get yourself some foundation and stability. So I'm like, okay, fine. And then I went off and uh, studied psychology at Edinburgh University. But I literally just surrounded myself with all the creators because I felt so unfulfilled. I started doing film photography because it was... I realized that film obviously takes such a long time. So I wasn't, I didn't have that time anymore at university. So I started doing film because I would get results faster. And all my friends were creatives, illustrators. I was, you know, hanging out at the Edinburgh College of Art instead of my own. And then fast forward, had worked in the city of London. So in the corporate job, met uh, a guy, Darren, and we were talking about our futures. 
And another passion that I had was food. And he literally just asked me that question that nobody ever had asked me. Because whenever I said like, oh, I'd love to have a restaurant. I'd love to have my own place, a cafe. Everyone would just say, oh, wow, that's so cool. That'd be amazing. But Darren asked me, why haven't you done it yet? And that was just such a mind-blowing question. I'm like, wow, why haven't I done it yet? And literally within two months, I wrote a business plan. I um, sought funding from my father, which Chris says isn't, you know, real thing because that's your father. But I'm like, <laughs> no, I, you know, if you know my dad, I needed to obviously put everything in place. And he said yes, which meant that I was a go-ahead for my business. Once that was established, wow. not established, that's such a wrong word because when does one get established? But once that w- was underway, all my creative friends who I had been taking with me from university, they were bar- uh, embarking on their free- freelancer journey or going into corporate, whichever way they were going. And uh, the freelancers would come to me and ask for help because they could see that I'd started my business. And that's how it all began. So I would help my friends for free. They would tell their friends and they would come to me and then I would then start charging, but nominal, just a nominal fee because it was a passion for me. So I have, you know, that was, that was literally just fun for me to help my friends, so uh, cool. you know, elevate their businesses. That's how it started. Wow. So, so hold on. So were you saying that you actually started a restaurant or that yeah. he was trying to convince you? Okay. What kind of restaurant was it? That's I had a Swedish restaurant. Yeah. So I was uh, 25 years old. And, you know, I, I feel like we're all similar ages. And that's mm-hmm. back then. That was young as an entrepreneur. Now they're like it 18 like million. Yes. <laughs> so I started my, the restaurant was my first proper business. And most, when I was doing my research of what to do and how to do it, you know, talking to other people, everyone's like, don't do it. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm ready. You know, I'm fierce. I'm, I've got energy. I can do anything. And then you start it. I don't know, it'll probably be the same for you guys. You start the business and like, yeah, you know what? This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah. And people come Definitely. to you, people come to you and they ask you then like, oh, I'm going to start up a business. You give the same advice you've been given and they don't listen to you. <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's, how, that's how it began. That's awesome. I love that. That went in a completely different direction than I was <laughs> expecting. I was saying, like when you were at the restaurant. So now when you look back on that time, are there things that you took forward into this yeah. business? All of it. So if I look at uh, how I was teaching my team how to sell, I used all my psychology knowledge. So when I compare how I was training my team and I compare it to other, other um, restauranters, I realized how different I was. And I would have like psychology of seating, psychology of selling, psychology of the menu, psychology of, you know, uh, what is the, what is the, uh, the user journey, basically, Mm -hmm. like, we're going to place the bar, I'd move the bar in my restaurant three times, because I thought it would be fun to test, which is not a (laughs) viable. How long did you have the restaurant? 10 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. 10 years. And when you said you moved the bar and tested it, did that just mean you just drank in different places in the restaurant? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that too but actually the physical bar the physical oh, bar okay. was moving okay. yeah so wow. restructure yeah and i used my restaurant as my creative outlet so i did a lot of collaborations with you know when pop-ups started becoming fun i had pop-ups within my own but it was my own creation so i would collaborate with different i did illustrators and designers and create different worlds within the restaurant and that's that's where i i would then have fun for me and 
That's cool. Yeah, the, marrying the art with food and drink and creating different experiences. So that's kind of, yeah. That's very cool. Pop-ups are so fun. And you get, and you bring in so many different types of people when yes. you're doing a pop-up. Definitely. I think when it comes to the selling part, I really think about how, how we make people buy in a restaurant. You know, you walk in, I can tell you that when someone walked into the restaurant, I would be able to guess what they would order. So you start, you start learning, you, you start learning how to profile people. I know it sounds horrible, but you, you start gathering information and data. So when you have that much experience and you can guess what they're going to order, and then also how can you encourage them to buy more? That is all applicable to every business because the way we speak and the way we communicate, that's going to impact how we're actually going to sell. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole psychology behind menus alone. I can't even imagine. And that's as far as I've gotten into it, you know, but I'm sure that the whole restaurant business is just one big, you know, psychological experiment on a daily basis (laughs) or sociological too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So how long have you been coaching creatives now? Mm. So once I sold the restaurant, that's when I started the, this business, uh, full, full time. So I w- I've been doing it for longer. It's really, whenever someone asks me that, I'm like, oh, I don't know. When was my first client really, you know? But if I, if I take it from um, full-time, I would say five years, yeah. Five years? Yeah. But this situation of this business is only a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> keep changing, keep moving. Do you feel like you've turned into a life coach as well as a business coach? I did actually consider going into life coaching because I really enjoy the mindset aspect of things, but I enjoy the money aspect so much more. <laughs> right. I love money. It's great. Don't we all? <laughs> and just to, to clarify too, when you talk about money, you're, you're talking about obviously making money, but helping people yeah. make money. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Having it, yeah. spending it, making more for others, like all aspects of it, the flow of the money. I enjoy all of that. And I also wish that people wouldn't think that that is ugly or, you know, it's got such a bad reputation to like it. Right. It's true. I, I, yeah, I agree. It, it tends to be like they have a, a fine art mindset, but they're working in commercial art and they feel guilty when they get successful. I don't, I don't get that either. But yeah, I've, I've run into that quite a few times. Yeah. And I think creatives want to, we've talked about this, we get into the mindset of helping people Mm. versus charging what we're worth. Yeah. And I take some issue with that line as well, charging with uh, charging what we're worth, Mm -hmm. because I think for so many people and so many creatives, that means that whatever you think you're worth, you must charge. And if you charge only 2000 or if you only charge 10,000 or hundred thousand, that's, that's the cap of your worth. But your worth, it goes beyond the price. So I know where the sentiment comes from. And I know when I'm speaking to someone, I know what they mean behind it. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that the receivers of that statement, who are young, who haven't really lived yet, or haven't had the experience of money and what worth really means, they think that their worth is what is capping what they can charge. But actually, both are so independent that your worth is, is completely independent from what you can charge. And you can think you're worthless and charge more and vice versa. Right. And that's how I see it. I don't know. How do you guys so, see it? So yeah, that, that's yeah, interesting. That's a great point of view. I love that. I think I bring a lot of value to a client, but at times 
like I'm afraid like, well, if I charge this much, they, they might not even respond and just go away. It's like, that's the part I struggle with a lot. So I'm a big energy person. And I think that the energy with which we do anything can be received. Hmm. So it's almost like with what integrity are we doing something? So if, if you, let's say, charge 100K for something, but you don't actually think it's valued at that, you're like, oh, it should be 50, but you know you're capable of selling at 100. Now there's an integrity mismatch. And that the energy with which you've sold that will translate in your behavior, in your subconscious, uh, sub, um, subconscious, unconscious, in your behavior that is not conscious to you. <laughs> It's going to translate in that. And then you'll say things that the, the word, the words that you will choose will be a certain way. The way you respond in nonverbal behavior as well as verbal behavior, that is going to impact the way it's going to be received by, by the person you sold this to. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? One? Yeah, that, I, I've never heard it described that way. So basically you want to be honest with yourself and reflect that in your price. Yeah. And the way to do that is to also look at, look rationally at your skill set. So I think if we remove the emotions aspect of what we can provide, so you look at, okay, what am I able to do? Can I provide what I'm saying that I will provide? Because we always have to deliver on our promise. You cannot control the expectations of the other person. They will have expectations. Your job is to then find out what those expectations are so you can either readjust them or meet them. And I think at that point, we're going to be able to uh, create a a match in what they want and what you are providing. And then you can then reevaluate whether you're able to provide what they want because the mismatch normally happens when we don't know what they're actually thinking. Yeah, I do. I I really love what you say about energy too, because it's, in some ways, it's almost like you manifest your own outcome, right? So if you go in not believing, right, or you go in nervous, you know, Vaughn, kind of what you're saying, you know, um, I firmly believe even if, if it's a virtual presentation that that's received at some level on the other side. So do you do you coach people on how to have better energy? So there's a push and pull in me. I'm such a strategic person that the more energetic side of me doesn't really come through. You won't see it in social very much, but inside my coaching groups, I will coach with permission the way the other pe- person wants to be coached. So I, I, I very much like human design. I like energy, um, energy coaching. So sensing in your body, but if the person that I'm coaching is very rational and doesn't like that at all, I will adhere to more strategic and, um, traditional ways of coaching. So I'm, I feel that the relationship you have with a client is very much a two-way two-way street and you need to know what it is that is going to be best for them and then me it is my job to then adapt to them mm. so the answer is yes but what i said was with the push and pull is that i don't think i've fully um i don't think i fully accepted that that is something that I would love to maybe explore more and maybe even lead with right. i think the fear embraced it wow. yes yeah. thank you thank you yes <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fascinating too, because, you know, depending on how we talk to clients, if you have a really high energy and really believe in the process and believe in what you're selling, they're definitely going to latch on to it more than if you just talk matter of factly about something. 
They feel the passion. They feel, yeah, sure. and they, and they trust, they, I think that they trust you more. I think I that agree. they, they're, you know, they buy into it better. Love yeah. It. You got to get ready for a client meeting for sure. I mean, there's a whole process you have to go through before you get, I don't know if you guys have a process, but I have a process before I get on the phone with someone or get on zoom with somebody where, you know, I just try to prepare myself the best I can to answer all the questions and get my energy going. I got my little, you know, energy drink or whatever I need to do you know, <laughs> to just be on the stick because, you know, the customers, they deserve that. Kind of yeah. like Stuart Smalley. A little bit. It, and gosh darn it. <laughs> I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> yeah, I totally visualize or, or uh, Ivy, I don't know if you've ever done this. Sometimes just to get me ready, I, I'm, I think to myself, what is the most insane question they could ask me? That would just I be that. <laughs> ridiculous. So, and it's funny because the few times I've done it, maybe I should stop doing it. They've asked me a ridiculous question. <laughs> like, and, give me an example. <laughs> Yeah, give us an example. Energy. You're like you're like conjuring that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've had uh, I've had someone literally say to me, "Okay, well, I really appreciate you putting this presentation together. What would it cost if it was a little less creative?" <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. How did you respond? <laughs> That's incredible. Well, the funny thing is, I I paused for a second and I was like, "Okay." Well, when you say a little less creative and I push back on them and try to explain it to them and what they were basically trying to say is if you, we got to the fact that instead of showing five ideas, we showed two ideas, right? And we lowered our costs and lowered our deliverables. But at the first point, Ivy, to be honest with you, I stood there for a second, like, what the F do I respond to on that? That's like, I don't know. Um, so stuff like that, Mom, is they'll, they'll ask or... They'll say something, this happens, this is a little less crazy, but they'll say, well, how long will something like this take, right? And I was like, well, you know, maybe five, six months, right after they just talked about how much they love us and they respect our process and everything else. And I'm like, well, how about a month? And um, I- It's always on web projects. It's web yeah, projects. Just, yeah, yeah. Just how long can it actually them, take? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just yeah, so Stuff like that. Yeah. Oh. It's really good. Whenever some outrageous question comes, I try to not explain it at first. I try to always ask the question back so they can hear how outrageous it is. <laughs> That's a really good way of actually putting it back in their face. Yeah. You repeat the question back yeah. to them? Is no. What so, what was the question? Uh, so, I think in your case, it was how can, uh, what would it cost if it was a little bit less creative? Yeah. And I think that my question would have been like, okay, so what is less creative? I think that's the first one, but that would have yeah. just been more exploratory. Yeah. Kind of the whole or, question mirroring, right? Like you kind yeah. of answer their question with the same question type thing. Yeah. I think that's a good, yeah. that's a good tactic. Quite often there can be uh, a misunderstanding. And when, when we start assuming what they might think, what a creative is, then that's where the chasm starts building. And then suddenly we've, completely changed our our price based on something that we don't really know so that that's why i always try to just get some clarification about what what it is that they want i mean sometimes i just tell them you tell me what do you want to pick like i literally just say like you decide <laughs> you tell me what what is it and then you know it's really good at that actually in meetings karen's really good at being like well what's your budget then because yeah you just keep going through this process you know what is your budget you know? yeah just tell me what you have and we yeah. will work with that mm -hmm. <laughs> so or we will you know 
we or won't. we won't. But or we won't. <laughs> <laughs> but what is it? Stop playing the mystery game. Yeah. You know, it's I, such I, a game sometimes. I'm always fascinated how people or clients say when you do ask them, "Well, what is your budget?" They say, "Well, we really don't know." That I'm that just blows me away that they Not don't true. have they a know. general idea, right? So that right off the bat tells me, okay, we're going to play a game here. Mm. And yeah. I just want to slap them. But um, anyway. <laughs> no, but I think Karen, Karen, to your point. Today. <laughs> to your point really quick, I just as a side note, you know, when then when we give them the budget and they tell us it's too much, I'll say, well, let's get on the phone and talk about that because you shared with us you didn't have a budget. So let me share with you why <laughs> we're right. charging you this and the value behind it. Mm-hmm. Um and yes. that call only happens about 50% of the time. But um, that's why when they say that, I'm like, oh, you you have a budget. At least you have a limit. Well, of course they do. There's yeah. a target yeah. of a general. Yeah. They definitely have the, the high watermark dis- established so they can figure out what they can afford. Absolutely. So, Ivy, how do you, how do you work with creatives to determine their fees? what their fee is. And even in your coaching groups, how do you handle it when you have um, people that are just starting out and then people that have been in the business for a long time? How does that, because I'm assuming that everybody learns from everybody in those groups. So I don't particularly work with uh, new startups. I usually work with people who have been in business for a little while. So my assumption is always that they understand profit, which once again is the wrong thing to do because not everyone does. So sometimes um, once I realize that they, which is in the first call, when I realize that they don't, they're, they don't understand the profit part of things, so I first need to teach them mm-hmm. how to look at their expenses, look at their time, and that they need to charge their company their own time. And that's how to start with the pricing. But otherwise, when people understand what their profit is, I usually, I, 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 I say pricing is dead easy. You can charge whatever you want. And I have had a huge argument with someone in the comments who says, no, you can't tell people you can charge whatever you want. I think that you can charge whatever you want, but you do need to be able to deliver on whatever it is that you say you're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. So I usually start by saying like, well, what do you want to charge? And then they'll say like, oh, well, I want to work charge let's say it's someone who's only been charging 5k for a brand strategy and they're like, Oh, I want to charge 20k. I'm like, okay, well, have you been selling at 5k will be my first question because you have to be able to sell at the level that you want to charge. So then we work out where they are. We work out uh, how long it's going to take them. We make sure there's profitability and then, and then just choose a number. And I really don't think people should complicate it too much. And I know that there's so many different schools of thoughts on this, but make a decision, choose a number that's profitable and then keep moving up if that is what you want. If you want to continue increasing your prices, keep moving up on that. And don't just increase by 10%. Make it a significant increase so that you're actually hitting a new resistance point. You're not going to know whether you've reached the resistance point of the price that the client is willing to pay until you actually hit it. Like you need to keep mm-hmm. increasing it until you're like, oh, this was a little bit more difficult to sell. Maybe this is where I stay until I've mastered my sales or increased my skill set so that I can deliver faster, better, or at a higher level, solve a bigger problem or something like that. So you continuously have to improve. I'm going under the assumption that you are good at what you do and that you know how to deliver what you're promising. Mm -hmm. Other than that, just literally 
pricing is easy. But Mm -hmm. that's how I feel. So challenge me, please. Do you work with the creatives on their proposals to make them more robust? It depends on which agencies. Like if I'm working with an agency, they most likely have their proposals are their strength. Their sales call is their weakness. Okay. I was wondering if sales were different than pricing, you know, people have a hard time selling the pricing they've decided on, you know? Mm. So the way I teach it is that you want to decide on the price on the call so that the the proposal is a formality because that's some of the some of the businesses they needed to go through the systems. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I teach my clients not to send proposals unless their company has it as a I like as that. a requirement. Yeah, it's just extra work, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need the pa- some form of paperwork, but it needs to be short and brief. It doesn't right. need to be like a ten page deck that you send off. Yeah. Right, that's a good point. That's I, I, I kind of like grew up in corporate America, so I always thought, you know, oh. These agencies come in with their Converse, you know, shoes on and their suits and whatever to sell us something. And they've always got this massive deck, you know, filled with like 50 slides of every, you know, person that works at their organization and what they do. And so I guess, you know, there were people within, you know, the company that were very impressed by that. And it it felt like it was an entry bar, I think, Mm -hmm. and sometimes in corporate America, and then I always just was like trying to dig through to the back where you find out it's like on the last page, what yeah. are you going to do and how much yeah. does it cost? Because in the end, that's all we really care about, you know, on the yeah. client side. How, are you going to do it and how much is it going to cost yeah. me? And is there wiggle room in here for changes or, you know, discrepancies or whatever? So uh, I have my question, just kind of going back to what you described. So you recommend your clients to try to sort of figure out the price on the call. And then it's just what an email follow up say, Hey, it's great. Just confirming that, you know, we talked about X and uh, we can send you an invoice. Is that I'm oversimplifying it? I'm sure. <laughs> no. So some, some are like that oversimplified. <laughs> um, others would be, um, Others would need to either speak to their partner, which is a true thing. It's not just an objection. Sometimes it needs to, there needs to be a discussion. Yeah. So in those cases, then uh, yes, a follow-up email, a follow-up call, but always make that meeting on that call. So when you're on the call, you say like, okay, does this sound good? Uh, do you have any, okay, this is not what you'll say. You won't say, do you have any objections? But essentially, do you have any objections? Deal with the objections. They're like, yeah, we're all go ahead. This sounds really good. I also like to future forecast, like, okay, so when are we looking at um, starting this so that mm-hmm. they can start imagining that it's actually going to be happening. And you can also tell how how interested they are by what tense they're using in the language. So, or if they're saying like, oh, if we do this, then you're like, oh, you're still on, you know, they're still on show. But if they say like, oh, when we do this or like, oh, or, then we can do this, then we can do this. And suddenly you're in mm-hmm. their future, which is a very good indication that they're planning with you right now rather than mm. with somebody else That's and so then point. i love that so then um on that call just say okay so when is the when should i call you or when will you call me sometimes they don't want to be called so find out what it is that they want is it a call is it an email and make it easy for them we need to make it dead easy for them to say yes yeah jamie is really good at following up with people right away from meetings and staying on top of them which no, good. Well, to talk about, yeah, to talk about the detail, I just have one question that's kind of popped in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
do you how do you feel or what do you recommend of like pricing ranges or a fixed price do you have a for a, a preference like if for example if uh if you're doing a logo for someone and you're like hey our logo fee is six to seven grand or it's seven grand is this in the call or is this before you got them on a call let's just say it's in the proposal okay no then i would say it's fixed you need to we need to get to a decision so you have to get a price because otherwise you're opening that's just opening it up for uh, more negotiation so when you say six to seven, that says like, but we can talk about it. And we really want to reduce the steps to, to the close. If, yeah. um, if it's a conversation, then you can say if they're really wanting the price early, because like, well, it's going to be around six to seven, but let's have a conversation and figure out what it is that you need. And then by the end of this call, I'll know, I'll know what to quote you. That's the way I would I handle it. That. Well, mm-hmm. and that's a good point because you know, I mean, how many times have you put that proposal together and you're like, okay, that's going to charge, you know, we're going to charge you anywhere between 10 and $14,000. Right. And you know, in your mind, you want to charge that 14,000 and you know, in your mind, that's what it's going to take. You're, you're almost like just giving like a false hope or false impression, you know, that, that it could be 10 because it's not, it's not going to be 10, you know? So unless you know, you take some of the stuff out of that proposal to make it 10, you know? So I guess. No, as I was gonna say, the reason I asked, and this is kind of going to your point is, you know, the last couple of proposals we've done and, and Ivy, sometimes in the proposal we've, we've done a range only because we don't have all the details and we have a, and we have exactly. That's where this, I was this is subject, yeah. this is subject to 100%. change, yeah. but what's happened more and more. And this is why I'm asking about fixed. I think we're going to go to more fixed pricing here is in the end, the client's like, Hey, we want to go with you. We're just going to assume it's all the high end. And so I'm like, I should just mm-hmm. let it at the high end. Yeah. 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 Same. I, I agree. That was my question, Justin. It was like, when we give ranges, it's usually because mm-hmm. we don't know the entire scope, but usually they see that higher number and they're just like, yeah, we'll just go, we'll plan on that. And so yeah. I, we experience, we've experienced the same thing. Absolutely. I, Kind of have a, a follow-up question that goes in line with what we're talking about. So if somebody comes to you and they they tell you that their quotes aren't getting approved, and but they feel like the fee they're charging is reasonable, uh, what should a creative do or what would be your advice for diagnosing like what the true problem might be? So the fee is not the problem. Well, if the fee, no, it could be many different things, but if the fee is not the problem, that means that the, 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 the problem does lie on, on the creative side. It means that you're not giving them what they want, whether that is style, because they don't know, quite often they don't know the real problem that they're wanting to solve. So if it's a stylistic thing, or if it is, they don't like you, it could even be that quite often if there's no good chemistry between two people. They're like, no, we're going to go with someone that I actually enjoy working with because it's going to be a long-term relationship of three, four months or whatever. I want to make sure that that works. So I think it, it really, the way I would do this, if, if the person has uh, recorded the session, I would look at the recording because I'd be looking at it with objective eyes and I'd be able to deduce if there is a tension between them or if there are things that haven't been answered. Like there could be miscommunication and misunderstanding in the sales call that hasn't given the client every information that they need in order to make the decision to actually go ahead. It, the, the problem lies with the seller, but it doesn't always have to be the seller. It could be that it could be communication. And that's that's where the work then is. 
Okay. So that's how I would diagnose it. No, that's great. So do you recommend to your clients that they record sessions so that you can review them with them if necessary? Yeah. So everyone is able to. Well, not everyone, but those people who have that <laughs> and that level of access to me, they can actually submit uh, calls to me. But everyone should always record their calls if they're if they're feeling that there's room for improvement and review them. It's the most excruciating thing to do to watch yourself sell or have these meetings. But you can learn so much by watching yourself. You're like, oh, I missed that bit there. I could probably fine tune the way I ask this question. This is what I normally do. I could probably change things. You'll see things yourself. Mm -hmm. And you'll also be able to notice when you're not picking up on the other side, what they are saying. And you're like, oh, I missed that bit. Next time I'll pay attention to that. That's brilliant. You get so excited to sell. You know, you're so excited to be on the call that you just completely, you have your little script or whatever you're going to say and you just blow past what, you know what the client is thinking. You miss some good cues. Yeah. That's why scripts are terrible. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. (laughs) I'm like, I understand that people feel comfort in having scripts and yes, it's nice to have a guide. So if you black out or whatever, you have a set of questions, (laughs) but the, is there a story to tell Jamie? It feels like there's a story there. I'm someone blacking out on the call. I'm very literal (laughs) and (laughs) <laughs> stories and I was like just imagining Ooh. somebody you know being like oh. okay. <laughs> I lost my train of thought Something I have script. not blacked out on a sales call before. okay Vaughn just blacked out that's why we were all laughing that'd be easier sometimes for me to do than to do the selling I'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is probably an unfair question. If it doesn't go anywhere, of course, Karen can cut it. But if there was like one, one, you know, one common theme or one common, you know, question that comes up a lot in the creative industry, or and you're like, oh yeah, of course that question's there because I hear it every single time, or or it's one thing you always want to make sure you address. You know, um, what would that be? The one that comes to mind is how do I find my clients? But that's mainly from Instagram. So I, I think my clients are a little bit uh, higher level, not higher level, mm-hmm. but they're a little bit more further in their in their business. But if I do market research with the with my Instagram audience in the DMs, they're always asking how do I find my clients, and I ask I ask them, well, who are your clients? That's like the first question I ask. Right. <laughs> And then they're like, oh, it's a small, small businesses. I'm like, that's like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Go and see, you'll see them everywhere. But yeah, so who is your client? And then trying to fine tune that one. I, I'm in the niche camp. You know, it's it's just easier when you're niche, especially if you're if you're struggling in your business, if you're not getting money coming in, if you're not finding your clients, try being niche, even if it is for a little while, choose one. For at least, give it a year, give it a year and a half and see how things go. But then when you focus that message, and I mean, you all know this, but you'll focus that message that one person, they'll hear you and you will find them. So if you're, if you're looking for doctors, you, you'll know what trade shows to go to. You'll know mm-hmm. where they're going to hang out. That's where you'll find them. But right. I think nobody wants to be niche because they don't want to close off the revenue streams but they don't realize how much it opens up the revenue streams when you're on each. That's fair. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. And I think creatives like variety. I think that's part. It's true. I feel that 
there is a lot of variety within a niche, mm-hmm. even in the work that you'll produce, because no two doctors, I will just take doctors again, no two doctors will have the same desire of how they want to express themselves. So the way I liken it to, I don't know, have you guys been to London? Yes. yes. Love it. London is huge. I lived in London for 15 years. Actually, probably more, I don't know, 20. Long, long time. I lived in London for a very, very long time. And two or three times I've had people who are tourists or they're just staying there for three months. They're like, oh yeah, I've been here now two weeks and I'm done with London. I'm like, London is huge. I'm not done with London. I've lived here for 20 years and I discover something new every day. I liken the same to a niche because mm-hmm. you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. You learn new things. You see new things. So it's actually really diverse within the niche. And if you get really, really bored because you are such an expert within that, other people want a piece of that. Like I work with creatives, but I get approached by I get approached by all kinds of people because they want they want to work with me. So like hedge fund managers, people in finance, they're like, I'm like, this is so corporate. This is so different from who I want to be working with, you know? And they're coming to me because they want to work with me. And that's that's not and they can see on my bio that who who it is that I'm that I'm supposed I'm very clear on who I'm supposed to be working with. And it's going to be the same with everybody else. When you choose and you go deep, you get recognized for you get recognized for who you are, and they they will want a piece of that action. And mm-hmm. they will come. And that's where you get the variety. Because you can choose to say yes to whoever you want. That's a great point. That was some so ninja good. skill right there. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is her. Ins- it's like the coolest thing. I feel like I'm in some like insiders. Like, what do you call it, Ivy? The winners or winners? Uh, the circle? winner circle. Winner yeah, circle. Like we're yeah. in the winners circle. Like right now, that's her like elite group. You know, where we're getting like the inside scoop on all these amazing things. I mean, we've been in. We've all been in the business a long time. It's always good to hear you know, more ideas and more fresh ways of looking at business. So you've got to have a shit show moment though, right? I mean, you've had like (laughs) some sort of disaster go on. Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, if you've been in business for this long, you would have so many. And when you mentioned it, there was one that came to mind, but it's from my restaurant years. I feel like I've had less shit show moments in this business, but I think it's because I'm so in a way isolated. You know, the more exposure you have, to people and environments, right. the more things happen, right? Damn I feel people. like I'm sheltered. <laughs> what? Damn people. <laughs> Damn people. <laughs> Always getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, right? So the shit show that came to mind when I read your email, that said like, oh, we'll probably ask about a shit show moment. I'm like, oh, I think it's this one. And then I'm like, oh, but there's this and then this, and there's so many. <laughs> what should I talk about? <laughs> You'll have to come back on the show and share more. <laughs> So uh, I was maybe five years into my restaurant and I had my restaurant through my recession, through my recession, <laughs> through the recession of uh, 2008-9, wow. whenever that was. Mm. And uh, it's, it's hard work when it's, when it's the recession. You have to do a lot more. We were a very lean, lean uh, business. So five years in, I was feeling really good. I could take time off and I no longer was in it. I was working on the business, which was what I wanted all that time. It just took longer because of the recession. It was a Saturday and we went to a wedding. My my boyfriend and I, Darren, we went to a wedding 
And he had been going to a lot of weddings solo because if you have a restaurant Saturday, no, it was a Sunday, Saturday and Sundays are like the best, best days, right? So mm-hmm. unsociable hours. So he's like, oh, will you come to this wedding with me or am I going on my own <laughs> or do I not have a girlfriend? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I'll come with you. So it was a Sunday and we're in the, in the church and I have my phone on because I'm like, oh, I got to be available for my work. I've always had my phone on. It was, I had this nice little mulberry bag that was phone size that would just be strapped on my wedding outfit. Like every, every nice outfit, I still I always have a strap going across because that was it. <laughs> my, my phone chained to me. And then the phone rang. Uh, it didn't ring because I had it on silent. I'm like, I got to go out. They were they're like middle of the ceremony. I'm like, they're calling. I got to go. So I exited the church. And I took the call. It was a really lovely Sunday, sunshine on my face. And um, my manager basically said, Ivy, the basement is flooding. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, everything is wet. There's about a two or three centimeters of water. I don't know where the water is coming from. The basement's flooding. I'm like, okay, is it busy at the restaurant? Yeah, it's full. I'm like, okay, is everybody working? I'm like, yes. And I'm like, okay, I'm one and a half hours outside of London. I can't come and help. And I just had to... Take a moment, because I was ready. I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm coming. And she's like, no, I can handle this. You've, you've hired me for a reason. At that moment, I learned trust at a different level than I'd ever l- done before. Yeah, yeah, that's your business. Yeah. yeah. She could yeah. call the plumber. Yeah. <laughs> she could call the plumber, but it was Sunday, right? So getting Sunday yeah. people, every, no one's working on Sundays. Well, in London, everyone's working on Sundays, but it just takes longer. Mm-hmm. And then- all the questions I had to ask myself, I'm like, okay, do we have to shut down? Can we still operate? This is like, Sunday is like the biggest moneymaker for us because we had a sudden market outside. So it was it was flooding with people and not just for lunches, coffees, which means there's like fast turnaround of people. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so busy. And, and then in the end, I just said to her, you do what you have to do. You have all the money you need, just fix it. I trust you. And she's like, yes, that's fine. And then I'm like, just give me, a, <laughs> give me an update every hour. <laughs> Like my, <laughs> keeping updated every hour so I know what's happening. Oh my God. Could you actually relax? No, I couldn't really relax. No. Like, let's be really honest. I did yeah, not no. relax. Right. <laughs> no. But I think the important thing is to remember, we cannot be everywhere at the same time. So when we're hiring people, we, we know that we are the best for the job. Like I know that I would do it better than her without, without a doubt, but mm-hmm. I cannot do all the different jobs better than all the people. So then I will not, I'm not going to be better at that job if I'm doing everything else at the same time. So letting go, I'm not a perfectionist. So for me, letting go is a little bit easier than the perfectionist. So letting go is a process that I had to learn quite early and to just accept that, you know what, there are going to be bad reviews because some people are not going to make the food as good as, as you. Some people are not going to serve the customers just as well as you will. And just accepting that bad things happen but it doesn't mean that your business is bad. <laughs> you can oh, still survive mm-hmm. and thrive. Aww. That's great. It was a shit show. It was actually it like, like a positive ah. shit show. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in the moment, what are you it felt doing? that's going to encourage people. Yeah, I mean, first international show, positive shit show story. I mean, come on. Yeah, looking for positive <laughs> endings here. No, I'm just kidding. That's amazing. It's a good. No, it's a good story. Yeah, that, there, there's a lot of lot of truth in that. I mean, I've pretty much most of my career I've worked solo, and then I hired my daughter five years ago, and I kind of went through that where I had to just trust that she is going to take this job and do it well. And 
I, there's been some hiccups, but we kind of work through it. And what we produce now is better than what I did on my own. So it's amazing. Um, it, it's it's a it's a balance, but it's really important. Yeah, it's true. I love that. So on that note. Ivy, is there anything coming up that you think that our audience would want to know or any way that they can get in touch with you or, you know, what have you got coming up in your future? In my future, I've got the Winter Circle 2023. I love doing 2022, so I'll be doing 2023. It's like a year-long support and coaching to just achieve whatever goals you have of 2023. The, the whole idea is to just have the support to achieve those. Uh, so that's what's coming up. Other than that, just send me a DM and we'll figure things out. <laughs> I know. We got to get you back on the show. I feel like we left some things unsaid here. And you've been such an amazing guest and even better in person. Although I do love my daily dose of your videos on Instagram. <laughs> but um, make sure you go follow Ivy on Instagram and on LinkedIn. She's very active and, and productive. And um, thank you for being here, Ivy. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you so much yes, for inviting me. Wonderful. It's been a blast. Thanks, Ivy. And I hope you shotgun that wine just to start the weekend off right. <laughs> right. Have a good weekend. Cheers. 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 If you're still listening in, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you enjoyed this new episode of The Creative Shit Show. And if you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great creative day.